0: Welcome to the Day 21 Woman Fierce Faith Talks Podcast, the podcast that tackles personal, spiritual, and professional growth with fierce, unshakable faith. I am Sonny, founder of Day 21 Woman and your podcast host. tuning in to the Day 21 Woman Fierce Faith Talks podcast. Today, we have an awesome guest, Dr. Tiffany Bell. Dr. Bell is a medical doctor, addiction psychiatrist, author, avid optimist, and passionate about empowering men, women, and children in their discovery to healthy relationships. Dr. Bell does this while destigmatizing mental illness and working with people at all walks of life and their journey on discovering emotional health through letting go of unhealthy relationships with an honest and holistic approach. Oh, it looks like we've got you all connected now.
1: Yes, I'm sorry. I The one through the email worked perfectly. Thank okay, you. Okay,
0: good. <laughs> good, well, welcome to the Day 21 Woman Podcast. I'm glad you could join us today.
1: Awesome. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah. So um, I've already completed your introduction and your bio for our listeners. But just to reinforce before we get into our Day 21 Woman Fierce Faith Talks today, um, we are talking to Dr. Tiffany Bell. Uh, she's the owner and medical director of Better Me by Dr. B, <laughs> which I <Yeah>. love. <laughs>
1: Thank I you. absolutely
0: love that. So explain to me a little bit about what you mean when you say better me. What does that mean?
1: Yeah. So when I was coming up with this concept, um, you know, I was hearing so many patients um, just really having such a, you know, a poor self-image about themselves. And I'm like, well, you only have yourself. Why not take yourself and just create a better, um, more conscious you? You know, you're more conscious, more in tune with yourself. What do you need to be a better version of yourself, whether physically, emotionally? How can we create a better image of yourself, a better version of yourself? And that is what how Better Me came about. And um, it, it just really helped myself. You know, I was struggling with myself. Um, just being really hard on myself. Like, you know, I'm actually doing a lot out here. I'm doing a lot of good pouring into other people. And then I needed to start pouring into myself, which mm-hmm. helped with the better version of myself.
0: You know, I really <laughs> like how you said that, you know, basically to relook at yourself and in this idea of how do I create a better self, right? Yes. Because I think a lot of times what we do when we're not the person that we think we should be, or we intended to be, or we even want to be. We think we just got to start all over from scratch or worse off sometimes I see where we think we need to become somebody we aren't or, you know, take on what somebody else is doing. So I really like how you said, you don't have to throw all that away. Just look at who you are, where you are, and how can we recreate a better you? So that is absolutely wonderful. So can you tell us a little bit um, about your work, because as I was reading in your bio, you've done a lot of really wonderful things. And so if you can tell us a little bit about your work as an author, a psychiatrist, as well as an emotional healer, and we're going to talk about that emotional healing part a little bit more, but tell us a little bit about your work in those areas.
1: Yeah. So, um, when I came into Madison, um, I've always wanted to be a physician. I always want to be a doctor. And the first thing, my first love was women's health. Um, I really wanted to deliver babies and I found out that, you know, when you get to that point of when the mother is about to deliver, you know, babies come whenever they want to. And so Mm -hmm. I was, you know, I am a person that loves that instant gratification Mm -hmm. and I know myself, I will be so unhappy if I, um worked with a female throughout their, a mother throughout their entire pregnancy and did not deliver the prize. Okay. And so that developed my love for mental health. Um, it seems that there are so many psychiatrists, they love what they do. And there's different specialties in psychiatry that you can focus on women's health and other um, in other areas of just weight loss or um, genetics. And it just really sparked my interest. And so that's what really... Um, mental health really just found me. It just found me, grabbed me, and it really developed as my first love. And then going into mental health, you cannot separate from addiction. So there's a probably like 90% comorbidity of addiction. And I had a mentor, he was saying, this is an a awesome area to be in, especially for the African-American or minority communities. And that's just really where I fell in love and um, mm-hmm. advocating for... Um, you know, these patients that really don't have a, a voice for themselves. Mm-hmm. And it just really kind of sparked, you know, the addiction area with my addiction with food. I've mm-hmm. always struggled with food mm-hmm. and um, burying my feelings into um, eating, overeating, indulging, or not eating, restricting because I need to get ready for this or um mm-hmm you know, or that, or, you know, just really just kind of looking at myself, like, wow, I'm using food in the same ways as other people use, you know, alcohol or um, Mm -hmm. other substances to overcome their stress. And that's how my book came about. Um, And it really ties in to eating disorders, as well as like the emotional stress of Mm -hmm. the day to day life. Mm -hmm. And that's how the book came about. Um, And it's like, I usually use this book with my my personal patients, um, Mm -hmm. helping them develop goals for themselves, setting goals for themselves, and then actually looking at their eating habits, um, as, Hey, this is, you are actually fulfilling, you're actually self treating yourself or, um, eating your emotions and really the connect between the mental health, and the, um, the physical, because you're physically, you're consuming food and you never really mm-hmm. think about it. You just do this mindless eating and you don't, you don't really think about the emotions that are mm-hmm. causing you to eat. Mm-hmm. And that's where we take a step back.
0: And, you know, it's funny how you say that, because if we can have a moment of truth, um, that was something I actually learned even about myself within the last year, as I have also struggled with weight
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: um, as I sought out a medical professional to help me to understand, you know, my challenges with weight and you know what I mean? I mean, we're like, mm-hmm. okay, what's going on? And it was through working with this medical professional that I also learned that, you know, I had I was an emotional eater. And yeah. what I did was I would replace my stress or my emotional needs with food. And it's interesting how you talked about you can't separate the mental health piece from the addiction. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we really think about the connection between those two that often. We see, oh, addiction, it's a bad word. We automatically want to tie it to, you know, the known, the drugs, the alcohol, but addiction can be a number of things. And it's oftentimes the result of an underlying mental health piece. Mm -hmm. So- Based on your experience as a professional in this area um, and talking about kind of you can't separate the two and we've got the addiction as well as the mental health. And I really I think I want to talk about that addiction a little bit more. But what are some of the pressing challenges that you see affecting emotional health um, in addition to addiction or if you want to even elaborate on addiction even more?
1: Yeah, so I would say the word mental. So mental has such a negative connotation to it. Um, and that's where the stigma develops. Um, we know that, um, we try to go back and forth with the with the terms. So I like to use like emotional health. Okay. Um, I think people can relate more to emotions because they know that you know um, laughter, happiness, sadness. We've all experienced that, right? So mm-hmm. in our time, we've all experienced those things um, and being able to enjoy things. So we've all been there. But when you put mental health, which that's the that's the more medical term for it, like mental. Mm-hmm. Um, that has like, well, I'm not mental or mm-hmm. I'm not quote unquote crazy. Um, and so I love to use the term emotional health because the mental health has such a negative connotation. You really cannot separate that from each other because they mean the same thing. Actually, mm-hmm. um, the addiction part has a negative connotation to it. Right. And so mm-hmm. when we think about addiction, we think about, um, people being able to control it, um, mm-hmm. Um, It is people that are homeless or under living underneath bridges or um, fail, you know, people that are failures. That's what we think about when we think about addiction. Um, But when I think about addiction, I think about all the things that we have readily available to us that are not illegal, which is Hmm. alcohol, food, nicotine, those things are not illegal, and so you're more prone to develop an addiction and overindulge in things that are not illegal. Mm. Um, the issue is, is that it's difficult to have people to re- actually think about those things um, as being overindulging and not being able to stop having difficulty continuing when you get to a point where you know you've had enough. That's mm-hmm. really has been my challenge um in this field and also uh, between um individuals that have addiction issues and know they have addiction issues so from the alcoholic to the person that uses opiates so the alcoholic is like oh, well I will never do those type of things but alcohol is one of the most deadly substances that we can actually consume because it affects every organ in our body so it's really difficult to get the, have the education piece. And that's one of the things that I do in my office and also at the hospital is really educating others about, you know, we are all the same. We're all in the same playing field. What is your advice? What is mm-hmm. your, choice? what do mm-hmm. you think, what do you use to overindulge? And, and once we can kind of get on the same playing field and say, like, okay, well, I'm not, I'm no different than any other. We all need help. That's when, you know, it all kinds of come together, and we can say, "Oh wow, we can start partnering with with one another and helping one another." Mm-hmm.
0: So, when do we know as individuals that we've reached a point of overindulgence? What does that look like? Mm. How do we know we're there?
1: So, you know, when someone says they hit rock bottom, right? So you hear that term, like, "Oh, I guess they hit rock bottom." That's why they're in. Um, That's why they're in treatment or when we are thinking about the easiest thing is like when we think about we need to lose weight. And you're saying, well, I you finally go by the mirror and you say, well, I'm just really unhappy in the way that I look right now. That is your moment of possibly rock bottom. Mm -hmm. Um, Want to make a change when you are even thinking about the concept of change, changing things in your life. That's when, you know okay, I need to do something different. That mm-hmm. is my bottom.
0: Okay. So, and the other part, I think that you brought about too, that I was thinking about too, is this whole idea of self-control too. Yes. So, you know, how that plays into, you know, your ability to have self-control and, or not, right? And yeah. And how that may lead to an overindulgence and whatever addiction that we may have, which you've described as those things that are legal that are readily available to us but we're just kind of going to those a little bit too much right because we're using those to handle some emotional spaces that we may have now how much does our history and our trauma play into things like our emotional well-being because oh, wow. we started out talking about you know hey i don't like where i am i want to be a better me But becoming Mm -hmm. that better me sometimes comes with some history, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or some trauma. So how does that play in? And let's talk through that a little bit, because I think that's a big part of it for a lot of people in manifesting their emotional wellness.
1: Right. So. I, you know, one of the things we do know, studies have shown that one in three Americans struggle with some type of emotional or mental illness, right? And I see that women actually suffer higher um, than men. But we know that we both, you know, equally um, can develop these type of conditions. Wow. You've got trauma um, in general, whether it's physical, emotional Mm -hmm. Um, sexual trauma women after these type of episodes or events happen women are 10% more likely than men to develop post-traumatic stress disorder which is a chronic which is a chronic condition right right when you have these type of um, traumatic events that happen into your life usually it's years before you seek help right? right and you know, that's we spent a lot of time on trauma informed care, getting people to open up about what has happened. A lot of times it's not even um the person's fault because with trauma, you usually mm-hmm. block out things that are um that that were not good for you, that caused some mental stress or sadness. So if things mm-hmm. are happening in your childhood, maybe mm-hmm. by the by your teenage years, you have blocked it out and you have no recollection of what happened during that time period. This is something like an easy concept to actually link to this. So childbirth, a lot of women have went through childbirth, right? And Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. um, if you've ever went through like a natural childbirth or even um, a cesarean, that event could possibly be somewhat traumatic to the mother because of the pain, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um actually worrying about your child getting here safely, that is all possibly traumatic. What we do is we have some period and we block it out. We block out how the pain actually, like the the rate of the pain or how intense the pain was, how long the pain, how long the childbirth was. And when we block that out, then we're able to continue to produce, right? We're continuing mm-hmm. to, you know, um, get pregnant again because if we continue to hold on to that trauma that right there would cause us not to you know become mothers over and over and over again so right. really easy concept to think about that we block out things and then mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we block it out we have no recollection and then until it kind of comes up again mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. like a trigger or some smell noise tv show or something spark that up you're like wow i wonder what that was all about, you know, and it could be Mm-mm. that happened years ago. So that was actually my responsibility as a physician or a psychiatrist to, you know, really dig into your history of what went on. Yeah, because I was going to, re- I wanted to touch back on these, these,
0: this, some of these these data points you brought out, which was one in three women suffer more, I believe you said, than men.
1: Um, so yeah, it's like one in three Americans in general suffer okay. from mental illness and okay. women are more likely to suffer from like anxiety or depressive disorder. So more than like 40% of women suffer from or develop depression or anxiety. So we got to go someplace cause
0: I got to go here with you cause we talk to the women, right? Yes. <laughs> and I got to go there because I'm curious to know when you talk about this piece, which is women suffer more from anxiety and depression how much current and or past relationship or relationships play a role into this, and is that something that you think is a factor in the rate of trauma that women are carrying into PTSD, which becomes a chronic disorder?
1: Hmm. Yeah. So I believe that um, what you last touched on in your last recording the super the superwoman syndrome or. Mm-hmm. Um, we are caretakers. So we put ourselves last, right? Um, and even with, you know, just postpartum depression and things like that, you know, there are, I think they said like up to 30 to 70% of women experience, um, well, excuse me, let me correct that. 10 to 15% of women experience postpartum depression, right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then after a year, it can have, it can actually go on to full blown depression in mm. about thirty percent of those women. So that's a pretty wow. big number, and a lot of times it is being dismissed because we are, you know, we know that the added pressure of taking care of someone else, then also taking care of yourself and the entire family, yeah. is to be our duty. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yes, it could be actually even with that having um depression even with childbirth or just something that normal like our normal life things that occur um we should be able to handle it and so essentially,
0: so essentially it sounds like we're caretaking ourselves or yeah. you know caretaking of others at the expense of ourselves um yes in this whole idea of like kind of you mentioned uh my last podcast which was a superwoman syndrome we think we're supposed to be all things to all people or be great in all these different capes we wear. Right. Yeah. The problem with that is we're finding ourselves in this space of anxiety and depression. Yeah. And it can even start as early as when we first start becoming caretakers, just as through the childbirth process of becoming moms, it sounds like.
1: Yes. I mean, sometimes a lot of times that's where, um, that's where we really have our, first episodes is right Mm -hmm. after the traditional, what we used to call it baby blues, right? Yeah. Um, And so that's kind of, but a lot of times it started so much earlier um, with being like a perfectionist, you know, even in school, the demands of um, being the best, bringing home good grades, those things. I mean, it Mm -hmm. really, that's where anxiety kind of um, started, even in the as a teenager, I know that even third and fourth graders are looking at body images, you know, body image is more of a perfectionist type thing. These are anxiety provoking type thoughts um, that we put on ourselves at a very young age. Um, Saying this child is, you know, prettier than this child, or Mm -hmm. this child is smarter than this child. That is what that's where a lot of these anxiety disorders kind of spark from. So you're right. And post-traumatic stress disorder is a type of anxiety disorder. So we have a bigger umbrella of anxiety disorders and a lot of those things kind of follow underneath there. Mm, Um, Interesting. Yes. Mm.
0: So we know we've got this caretaker piece. And one of the things I know that I was reading in your bio you talked about this idea of discovery of healthy relationships, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I can be honest because I have been guilty of this myself and the Lord knows <laughs> I am now working on what they call boundaries, right? Yes. Um, to ensure and protect myself so that I have operate in a healthy space in my relationships. Because sometimes we, we give and we caretake to a place of unhealthiness not Mm -hmm. to mention all the other unhealthy stuff that we bring on just in relationships in general that get us to an unhealthy place. So um, what do you mean by healthy relationships? What does that look like? And how do we kind of help ourselves to get there, stay there? Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, so I think um, healthy relationships mean people cannot read your mind. A lot of individuals cannot read through the tape or read between the line and know what you're thinking, right? And so I always, when I first talk with any patient, I say, you know, hey, I'm a psychiatrist, not a psychic. So I will not be able to read your mind. I don't know how to meet your needs. Um, and so being open and honest and using your voice is the best thing that any individual can do. If you know that, this is not how you like to be treated from the beginning when you're establishing a relationship with anyone, whether it's a coworker or boss or anything, you let people know mm-hmm. um, and stand your ground with that. If you don't like something or you don't want to go somewhere, say no. No mm-hmm. is a complete sentence and it doesn't have to have a big explanation, you know, following it. It can just be no. Um, mm-hmm. So that is really what I mean with having a healthy relationship with others around you. They cannot mm. read your mind. So you have to tell individuals what you're thinking, how you're thinking, why you're thinking sometimes, especially if someone is close to you and how you want to be treated. Um, and then make sure you reciprocate it in, you know, in the other point and the other relation, other half of the relationship, um, If they're and you ask them, hey, I want you to be open and honest with me um, because I don't know how to treat you. I think people are going to be more accepting to that. Like, wow, okay, this person, you know, um, is very enlightened and awakened of how they should they're supposed to be treated. This is how Mm -hmm. I want to be treated because people just don't know. They don't live in that gray area. Sometimes maybe maybe more black and white. And if you don't like to be treated that way you have to tell people you have to tell
0: people around you absolutely I love it so the takeaway here for us is in this space of getting in or discovery of healthy relationships we got to keep in mind and we got to know people aren't mind readers so we are the owners of our truth right yeah and so that means we have to use our voice and we should be able to use our voice and so Using our voice to speak up because people aren't mind readers is a key component of not only developing, but also maintaining what sounds like healthy relationships so we can speak up and say to people, Yes, no, I like it, I don't, right? Right. Um, and all those kind of things. And it's interesting you say that because I'm going to be honest with you that whole part about using our voice sometimes um, is a lot harder. Than what it sounds, it sounds easy for us to be able to say, I need to use my voice and speak up. But when it comes time to do it or a need for us to do it, a lot of times we don't for various different reasons, whether it's we are in this caretaker people pleaser space, whether it's we don't know how, whether it's a past trauma, whether it's a fear. So how do we. Get to a practice of using our voice because that's not easy for everybody.
1: Yeah, it's it's not easy, but I believe it's like a unreal. It's like unrealistic. It's a fear base that you put on yourself. Mm
0: -hmm. Um,
1: you know how like it's when Mm -hmm. you have those difficult conversations, and when you're done with it, you're like, that wasn't so bad after all. Mm -hmm. A lot of times, it's what we get stuck into our head is that inner harsh self-talk that we have within ourselves mm. and we cannot move past it. It's really, it's like unrealistic fear that we mm. build up and that fear just be, it becomes overwhelming and that's when we shut down. But it mm. can actually just kind of step out, definitely step out on faith, right? Because, Uh you know, faith and and fear does not live in one place. You know, it doesn't coexist, doesn't coexist in the same place. If you actually step out on that faith and say, you know, I'm going to do this and see how this Mm -hmm. goes this one time, it Mm -hmm. probably won't be as bad as you made it out to be.
0: Wow. That's good. That's really good. So it's basically we have to overcome our fears, whether they're legitimate or self-imposed. Yeah, you gotta just do it. Yeah. Now, um, one of the things that we've kind of weaved in and out of this conversation um, has been discussion around body, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that we have talked about, whether it's um, how we've used, how we, you know, care about our image or We think care about what other people think about our image, um, how that plays into certain things. But I want to talk a little bit about the physical aspects um, that impact our emotional wellness, because Mm -hmm. whether it's a food addiction or we just have unhealthy practices or whatever the case may be, or just some of those hormonal and um, chemical components within the body. There are some physical things that get in the way of our emotional wellness that I think it's important for us to be educated on, um, especially because, like you said, there's so much stigma that goes with mental slash emotional health, Mm -hmm. right? And one of the reasons why there's a stigma, I think, to it is people discount that there are some physical pieces that connect and or relate to our emotional wellness. So can you just touch on that a little bit?
1: Yeah, so I'm hoping I hope that I um kind of explain this. Correctly, and I hope you're. And if if not, just let me know. So, mm-hmm. physical things that when I think about this, things that it can impact our um, our emotional health are more medical issues. That uh-huh. so, whether we are suffering from just lack of energy. So, when I think mm-hmm. of when a person comes in and we think lack of energy, I always go back to what are you eating? Are you thinking, you know, the vitamin deficiencies or um, is there something going on with your thyroid or do you have low thyroid um, or are you anemic? Cause anemia Definitely impacts our fatigue and makes us more feel makes us more depressed, right? Mm-hmm. So I always think about those things when when we say physical uh, physical issues that can impact our emotional health. Um, then other things uh, is how we actually view ourselves, um, and I think a lot of times we have again an unrealistic image of ourselves and how other people perceive us. Um, so when I before I lost a lot of weight. Um, you look amazing thank <laughs> you thank you thank you thank you thank you one of the things that I um one of the reasons why I definitely decided to lose weight not only because of the you know um the medical piece like I just wanted to be a healthier person in general but I also wanted to practice what I preached to my patients I mean mm-hmm. literally and I fall on and off you know the wagon too so mm-hmm. and I'm definitely open and honest because I'm you know I'm not perfect, so and I don't want people to have like an unrealistic like this perfectionism type thing. Um, mm-hmm. So when I physically, when I when they were looking at me, I want them to be able to trust me as a professional. Um, mm-hmm. I want them to buy into the thought of the physical um, and the emotional piece going together. Um, and so with that, I had to let them know. Like I showed them pictures in in. appointments like this is what I this is where I was and it was hard it was Mm -hmm. hard and I needed help so my help came from um subscribing to um a dietitian, and then also I paid a a trainer a physical trainer and I went Mm -hmm. and I went to the gym religiously um that's what I needed help that was my support system um Mm -hmm. to get over that. And so that's, when that's what I'm trying to instill in them, that physical piece. First of all, let's rule out any type of medical issues first that could be causing these issues of depression or as well as anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, let's rule out these things first. And then after we rule these things out, then let's start talking about, okay, physically, what do you want to change about yourself? Um, mm-hmm. You want to change your weight or physically you want to be able to run. Okay, so when we're running, we need to get a plan in place, a goal in place to actually get you to running, or at least walking five miles or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. That's when we get there. So, you know, I hope I tied that together um, for you. But that's kind of like yes. I look at the physical piece of it.
0: Yeah. So, and I, and actually, and, and I'm going to recap that um, before we get into our last portion here, which is you broke that down in two components. One is, Hey, there could be some medical. So some things going on with your physical self, right? Actual Physical self. Um, and that can manifest itself in things like low or lack of energy or, um, which could be, there could be medical conditions like anemia or vitamin deficiency or different things like that. That could be kind of, Uh, of impacting you know this emotional wellness piece and then the second part you said which is it's not necessarily something that is physically going on with you but a perceived right physical component which is that personal view of self yes and if that's a part that we're dealing with then it's, okay, that's something that has to be addressed or looked at a little bit differently. And in your case, it was, okay, I've got to commit to a wellness plan that's working out, that's a dietitian. So when we think about the impact on our emotional wellness um, and the physical impacts, there could be two parts. There could be a medical part, and then there's the um, perceived uh the perceived physical part right which is your whole yes. self so we need to kind of tackle both of those yeah um, so yeah you did great with that so um to wrap up um the last topic i want to get into because i want to go there i think it's important that we go there and especially since um at day 21 we are talking about you know spiritual personal and professional you know we're looking at all aspects and one of the things that you talked about early in our conversation was the stigma that goes along with, you know, mental wellness, which we now are going to call emotional wellness. Okay, mm-hmm. and then all those different pieces that are connect to that. And um, one of the stigmas or pieces, and and I want to talk about this for a moment, and because I think we're getting better with this, but. Um, the crosshairs of mental health discussions or emotional health discussions with faith so um, you know I think that that's a piece to kind of touch on because it is one of those things where I see kind of the crosshairs that come into play so anything you want to share on that at all
1: yeah so um, I Think it's one. I mean, we know that individuals that have some type of relationship um, with a higher power or have some spirituality um, background actually do better and have a better sense of self, and um, they have better enjoyment in life across the board. I do believe that, but there's also individuals that are you know, questioning a lot of things as well, like what they grew up and what they grew up learning. Um, and they start questioning a lot of things and they're unhappy of how they view the world. And so I have a really hard challenge. Of, I have a big challenge of let's separate those things. Let me give you someone that can actually help you um, that is Christian-based. I think that's awesome, especially Christian-based mm-hmm. counseling. Um, but here... I can focus on if you want me to. I can focus on these things in your life without um, having you question, you know, your background, because you know, even with addiction, so. Um, like AA, everyone has basically heard of AA, correct? And mm-hmm. AA is more of a faith based um, program. And there was a lot of individuals that would go into AA and didn't feel comfortable um, because maybe they never had a relationship with God, um, and it's it's difficult for them to relate and buy into um, into that into that area of how this can actually help me. Um, and so there's other. Um, treatments that there's a small piece of it, but then there is how you feel right now. What, it, where do you want to see yourself and how do you want to live your life? Um, not based on how you believe you should live your life because this is what you were told. Um, and so for me, I like both of them because I like mm-hmm. to give people options. Um, you know, for me, it, I am definitely a spiritual person. Um, I'm a Christian. So, but I don't impose my beliefs on others. Um, And I listen to a lot of different, um, a lot of different patients that have no relationship and Mm -hmm. that's okay. And you know, I am okay and I'm here to meet you where you are. And if you want to develop that part of yourself, let's do it. And I can also give you resources and point you into the right direction. So for me, it's not big of a challenge for me, um, but I'd love to be able to put that if someone is and they're struggling and they want to develop that part of them, they're more faith um, in their relationship with a higher power, then let's do it. It's a goal. It, it gives you a bigger perspective of your life and where you are in the world and your purpose um, in, mm-hmm. this, in this world and where you're supposed to do in your lifetime. I mm-hmm. love that. Well, and I
0: think it uh ties in too with your kind of what you start out in the beginning with the better me, you know mm-hmm. right? and what does that look like? and if I can take away anything that you have said um in kind of talking about the crosshairs of those the um mental, emotional health, and faith discussion um is that your data supports that those with some type of spiritual foundation tend to um do better um, yeah. in this area when it comes to emotional health or emotional wellness in comparison to those who don't and the second piece that i got from that is a lot of this is in the context of the relationship that the individual has to um their spiritual foundation or their spiritual relationship um okay. the relationship they have spiritually um, is what plays um, the biggest part in that. And so it really boils down to what the individual is seeking to do yes. and um, how they want to do that. So um, all very good. So before we finish up or close out, um, I've got a couple of things I'll close out with. I know you are an author. So, if you can share with our listeners um, again the title of your book and how they may be able to get it.
1: Yeah. So, actually, it's I still haven't actually released it. It's only to you know, it's like a, an edition for my my patients um, that come to see me. It's Better Me by Doctor B, the Eating Edition. Um, but it will definitely be available for per, for purchase for purchase soon. Hopefully, by the end of the year.
0: Okay. Very good. And um, I want to thank you so much for everything. Um, Is there anything um, before I close out um, with a couple of things that you would like for the listeners of our podcast to um, know before we close out today?
1: Yeah, um, I just really appreciate you having me. Um, There's a lot of people that look like you. If you find that you spoke to a therapist or psychiatrist in the past and you really didn't mesh well with them, don't worry about it. Actually try to find someone else. Um, It's all about you and your health. So don't be afraid of this area of emotional or mental health. We're here to help. Um, And I think we can help you live a better version of yourself.
0: Awesome. Amen. And um, one thing that I want to talk about real quick is when we talk about manifesting, um, which we're going to use the word emotional wellness, Mm -hmm. um, when we talk about that and what that means to manifest is readily perceived by the senses or recognized by the mind. When we think about wellness is the state of being in good health, especially as an actively pursued goal. So for us as individuals, manifesting emotional wellness means that you have perceived and recognized your emotional state of being in good health within the mind and we have to close out i would like to share a couple of scriptures these are from the new international version which is romans 12 and 2 which says do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And Philippians 4 and 7, and the peace of God, which transcends. I just want to thank Dr. Bell again for joining us for the day 21 woman fierce faiths talk podcast where we received our discussion on manifesting emotional wellness and i wish everyone the best until we talk again next time thank you dr bell
1: thank you Bye. thank you bye
0: thank you for listening to fierce faith talks with day 21 woman I am Sonny, and until we talk again, keep it fierce and have unshakable faith.